Not only in common language, the word narcissism evokes a negative connotation. It brings up the ideas of isolation, self-absorption, self-sufficiency, rejection and even contempt of the other as a result of haughty pride. Yet behind this lies a curious paradox, as Winnicott affirmed, in order for the child to be able to manage disappointment, they must have had a mother who encouraged them and loved them sufficiently. A mother, therefore, who nurtured the necessary libidinal capital of the child. I am Gaetano Pellegrini and uh, this is Talks on Psychoanalysis, the IPA podcast that shares topics published in the IPA Society journals and Congress debates worldwide. In today's episode, we will hear the reflections on the paper called Narcissism Today by Sabin Aduriz training analyst of the Madrid Psychoanalytic Association, who has served as a director of the APM Institute. In this text, the author states that in clinical work with patients, the narcissistic problem places the psychoanalyst sensitivity in the foreground. He addresses a conceptualization of narcissism and the sexualization of the ego following the postulation by André Green. Sabina Duritz also explores how the narcissistic polarization of the instinctual drives affects the splitting of the currents of tenderness and sensuality, as well as in the role of the primal scene. Finally, he addresses the function of the ideal and the validity of narcissism in contemporary culture. Please check the details of the episode to find more information about the author and to download the paper. This episode is read by Donald Rain. No ego can be self-sufficient and no self can fulfill the other. No other can replace the ego and no other can fulfill the ego. The other remains another forever. The centers remain separate, the center as a nucleus that invests the other without disinvesting itself, but movements of reunion and separation take place. Green, seminar about the work of the negative, 1988. Clinical psychoanalysis has changed in recent years, and I believe a main factor in this change relates to the consideration of narcissism as an unavoidable axis in working with all patients, and that this access acquires a very special relevance with some of them. The question of narcissism is problematic and paradoxical. Narcissism has a bad press, in that generally when we refer to narcissism, there is still a negative connotation that evokes isolation, self-absorption, self-sufficiency, rejection, and even contempt of the other as a result of haughty pride. Although we will have to take these qualifiers into account, to delve into narcissism, we must open ourselves up to the inherent paradox. As Winnicott affirmed, in order for the child to be able to manage disappointment, they must have had a mother who sufficiently encouraged and loved them. When we fall in love, we experience a crazy feeling that lasts for a limited time, but which is undoubtedly worth it, in that for a short period of time, 
we enjoy being in a state of happiness and we accumulate a libidinal capital that is going to act as the matrix of future and necessary transformations. The essential meaning of the paradox lies in the fact that in our clinical work, especially with particular patients, we must first recognize and sustain the patient's narcissism to rescue the life or survival narcissism and to favor a transference space, which implies the establishment of a basic level of trust on the part of the patient toward the analyst and also on the part of the analyst toward the patient. It must also be taken into account that it is necessary to unravel the narcissistic conflict by linking it to the drives, with the unconscious and with the Oedipus and castration, to construct and interpret it in the psychoanalytic process in order to gain access to a psychic change. We mustn't forget that clinical work with patients with narcissistic problems brings the analyst's sensitivity to the fore. Narcissism today has been deemed a malaise in contemporary culture. The problem of the search for identity and the drama of exploded identities, considering that the self is not the owner of the space in which it resides, that we suffer from an exiled existence, that we're not made up of a single piece, and that our identity is divided by the presence of the unconscious. Fear of the other, immigrant, foreigner, stranger, extreme individualism, as narcissistic self-sufficiency, liquid love on the fragility of human bonds, as the book by Zygmunt Bauman is titled. The diffusion of identity in the limit states or borderline, postulated by O. Kernberg, formlessness that underlies identifying vacillations, the fundamental characteristic of which is the absence of delimitation of the self, which cannot be constituted in stable form, as S. Le Poulichet suggests. The loss of the great stories, of the great ideologies that promised paradise on earth, or as Hegel would say, the Sunday of life, in that from the Hegelian sense, history had its own laws that inexorably governed it. The terminism of historical laws, as per the conception of the new man, or of biological laws, in the supremacy of the Aryan race, a loss that positions the question of responsibility as central in narcissism. How to assume responsibility with one's own history and with subjectivity itself. Conceptualization of narcissism. Freud, in On Narcissism and Introduction, defined narcissism as self-love through the libidinal investiture of one's own body. The subject does not come into the world with a self neatly tucked under their arm. Rather, they have to build it out of the relationship with the other. Needless to say, this other carries a fundamental weight. Freud, in On Narcissism and Introduction, affirms that the necessary assumption is that a unit comparable to the ego is not present in the individual from the beginning, since a new psychic action has to be added to autoeroticism in order for narcissism to be constituted. The prematurity of the human being has decisive consequences. Dependence on the maternal object and the lived experiences of satisfaction and pain recorded with that object. We are talking here about an object that is fundamentally linked to narcissism, the loss of which would be irreparable and produce a depressive risk. The primal love of the maternal object signals the existence of the baby. From the point of view of the infants, 
The maternal object is not differentiated from them. It is included, encompassed, within their narcissistic organization. The paternal third is present within the child and the mother. The child has a body-to-body -body relationship with the mother, sensory moments, experiences of satisfaction, but we must include the pole of identification with the father as an ideal, as a model. That is how I should be. To address the time frames regarding the constitution of narcissism and the object, I will follow that postulated by Andre Green. First moment. We start from the body of the infants, from its investiture of the breast through its oral drive. The breast, as a metaphor for the mother's contribution, is not initially differentiated from the child's body. Second moment. The loss of the breast. The breast is withdrawn. It is not always available to the child. It becomes real. A presence-absence modulation is in play, all of which gives rise to the localization of the breast as an outward narcissistic object. The perception of the totality of the maternal body coincides with the constitution of autoeroticism as sucking pleasure. The infants recreates in their own body the sensations experienced with the maternal object. Third moment, the birth of narcissism through unification of partial sexual drives, thanks to eros, passage from autoerotic bodily fragmentation to narcissistic unity, which for Freud implies a new psychic action. An object of love in itself is constituted in line with the model of the perceived totalization of the object. For the aforementioned process to take place, the role of the mother as a mirror is vital. The child sees themselves through the mother's gaze, as affirmed by Winnicott. The mirror stage by J. Lacan demonstrates that the child sees themselves through their own image projected in the mirror, an image in which he or she anticipates a vision of completeness. On the part of the child, there is an imitative activity. Igadini has shown the importance of early imitation processes as the basis of primal identification. As in the learning of a mother tongue, on the part of the object is their desire and also their narcissism. In On Narcissism and Introduction, Freud affirms that the existence of primal narcissism can be inferred retrospectively from the narcissism of the parents who regard their son as his majesty the baby. They consider the child to be perfection incarnate, sickness, death. Renouncing enjoyment or restricting one's own desires and will are not valid for the child. The investiture of the object is fundamental and may not be given or withdrawn prematurely. And the character of the narcissistic investment is also essential. In the sense that it facilitates seen or not, the child as a human being in their own right as different. It is a question of whether the object has fostered the existence of a lying creative ego of an object relationship that allows for the unfolding of conflicts and their elaboration. Freud, in On Narcissism and Introduction, postulates that every human being has two original sexual objects, themselves and the woman who raised them. The first would correspond to a choice of object through underpinning the nurturing woman and the protective father. The second would correspond to the choice of the narcissistic object, choosing in line with the model of what oneself is, of what they were, of what they would like to be, and in line with the person who was a part of themselves.
Sexualization of the ego. The human being, as a subject, is off-center from their object, since their center is an object from which they are separated. And there, the subject of what is lacking is born, and the person's search for substitute objects for an interdicted primal object. However, Green postulates that the narcissist has no other object of desire than themselves. The ego has become an object of desire for themselves. We need to relate this change of the object of desire for the ego with narcissistic libidinal regression. Since the regression is withdrawn from the libido of the objects to invest in a damaged ego, which is repaired through the sexualization of the ego. However, we must not confuse sexualization of the ego with narcissistic identification. The latter is the result of losing the object. We observe in some violent adolescents that their destructive response stands against the danger of not having their own personality. There is a sexualization of the image of the ego. Freud affirms in Instincts and Their Vicissitudes that the prototypes of hatred do not come from sexual life, but rather from self-preservation and self-affirmation of the ego. A fertile idea to reflect on in terms of mistreatment in general and specifically against women. A. Green affirms that narcissists are damaged subjects, lacking from the point of view of narcissism. If they have suffered disappointment with their parents, what object is left for them to love if not themselves? The journey from narcissistic wound to almightiness is something we all go through, but in some, the wound runs so deep that they don't recover and an extreme vulnerability remains as scar tissue. Narcissistic Vulnerability and Love Psychology I have found that in patients with a narcissistic problem, the integration of the tender current and the sensual current is polarized as a result of narcissistic regression as opposed to libidinal introversion. In regression, as we have stated, the sexualization of the ego is sought in order to ward off its fragility and confusion with the object due to narcissistic identification. But in this confusion, there is an incestuous transgression, while with introversion, the libido remains bound to unconscious incestuous fantasies. In narcissistically vulnerable patients, in whom a symbiotic relationship with the mother predominates, a sadistic and persecutory superego accuses the subject of their incestuous transgression and chides them for their deficiency and flaws. With some male patients, I have verified that intimate relations with a girl were consummated on a progressive basis until the sexual desire disappeared, increasing the feeling of affectionate company, as if the girl were more like a sister, and others appear as desirable targets. The former loved one becomes a double that in a certain way completes the patient, but with a superego condition. With her, only a familiar fusional relationship can be maintained. The intensity and uninhibited nature of the sensual current cannot be maintained, as Freud concurs, pointing to the normality of the sexual life. In my experience, these patients feel pathological jealousy. That is, they are extremely sensitive to being deceived by the other and they feel great insecurity in themselves. This situation accentuates the split of the object between fusional affection and desire. Narcissism, primal scene, and Oedipus.
Oedipus is the strongest blow that narcissism receives, since relationships become triangulated, denying the omnipotent fantasies of bisexuality and parthenogenesis. The differences between the sexes appear, the primal scene and the ineffable enigma of sexual enjoyment and procreation, the finiteness of satisfaction concerns the ego and the lack of completeness of the object. Oedipus will therefore facilitate a resignifying of the components of the dyad, which characterizes narcissism in the triad. But curiously, Freud already had postulated that the resolution of the Oedipal conflict will allow for the preservation of narcissism. The conflict between narcissism and Oedipus is fundamental. And in this sense, we must not forget Lacan's contribution with the mirror stage, which hierarchizes the imagined alienation of the ego. It merits our attention, although it does not account for all the vicissitudes of the ego in the theory and in a clinical setting, with one example being the role of the ego in the process of subjectivization in relation to other psychic instances. A fundamental question arises. What role does this idealized image of the ego play in the patient's story? We know, for example, what Kohut raises about the function of the grandiose self and the idealized parental imago. These are two archaic narcissistic configurations, psychic states in which it is necessary to maintain the state of primal narcissistic omnipotence and which generally remain denied, split or disproved. The baby remains attached to these two archaic narcissistic configurations if their primal needs are not optimally frustrated because of a lack of maternal empathy. I have verified through clinical experience the importance of the elaboration of the primal scene as a way out of the subjective impasse situation that narcissism imposes on the polarization of instinctual drives. I am particularly interested in the articulation between narcissism and Oedipus, the focus on the bond of the maternal imago with the paternal imago and also on the conditions required for there to be a productive conflict between narcissism and Oedipus, the contrast between the unconscious investiture of the fallow narcissistic image and the threat of castration. Furthermore, we must not forget that the child accepts the Oedipal prohibitions out of love. The cure won't be worth it unless a way to interpret the drive that picks up on the tension between Narcissus and Oedipus is not opened up. It is essential to articulate the narcissistic with the erotic and thanatic drives. The function of the ideal. We can't think of Narcissus' relationship with Oedipus without investigating the role of the ideal. In On Narcissism and Introduction, Freud writes, It would not surprise us if we were to find a special psychical agency which performs the task of seeing that narcissistic satisfaction from the ego ideal is ensured and which, with the end in view, constantly watches the actual ego and measures it by that ideal. This instance was named by Freud as moral conscience. Repression on the part of the ego would lead to the formation of the ideal. Freud also notes that what the subject projects in front of themselves as their ideal is the substitute for the lost narcissism of childhood in which they were their own ideal. 
returning to how it was with their childhood, their own ideal with regard to sexual aspiration is that to which men aspire. The transformation of primal narcissism implies the abandonment of the idealized and archaic parental image to find new ideals in other figures more suited to reality. There is an element of mourning for the ideal ego that seeks to reconquer the omnipotence of infantile narcissism. The threat of losing childhood dependency tests the stability of narcissistic systems. We know that the establishment of the ideal based on criticism of the parents will allow for a shift from primal narcissism, the reign of the omnipotence of desire, to its heir, the ideal. It is now a matter of satisfying the demands of the ideal. The mediation of the parental instance introduces the Oedipal triangulation by signifying the narcissistic wound as the irreducible distance between the ego and the ideal. With respect to the narcissistic libido object libido axis, seeing narcissism as excluding the object relationship or as its opposite becomes schematic. There is a balance between the investiture of the ego and the investiture of objects. A remnant of libido in the ego is necessary. With a couple, for example, it's important that they can be one and the other, the ego and the other, that they meet and differentiate themselves. A remarkable aspect of the function of the ideal is to derive a narcissistic satisfaction from drive renunciation. A. Green, in his text, Life Narcissism, Death Narcissism, states that in the place where drive satisfaction is fulfilled, its opposite Renunciation is established. Pride has become a higher goal than satisfaction. We could say that it is about making a virtue out of renunciation so as to be loved by a demanding superego and a tyrannical ego ideal, which according to the same author can lead to an impoverishment of object relations to bring the ego to its minimum living object. Likewise, J. Sespilka affirms, displeasure in the face of frustration or instinctual renunciation becomes narcissistic satisfaction, while increasing self-love that is presented as pride in the face of the superego and natural evil again becomes a moral good. A central question for narcissism is how to accept the pain of existing without plugging it into the other. Differentiating the ideal ego and the ego ideal. The first implies a demand for perfection that comes from an omnipotent fantasy already realized in childhood, a demand for perfection without arguments. Serge Leclerc posited that it is necessary to kill the wonderful child in order to give birth to the ego. That child guarantees the immortality of oneself and of others. It is about the death of the tyrannical representation of the infants that we have been in the dreams of our parents. The thorniest point of the narcissistic system for Freud was the immortality of the ego that the forces of reality besiege and which take refuge in the child. Louis Cansaiper emphasizes that the wonderful child Imago revives feelings of helplessness and ominousness due to the loss of the fantasy of eternal fusion affecting narcissistic systems. Kansai Pair emphasizes 
that human nature's need to possess a totalizing corporal and historical unification is questioned by two realities that make it impossible to maintain this state. The injuries coming from the narcissistic, edible and fraternal conflicts and the injuries that the traumatic events originating from the external reality inscribe as frozen chapters that block the temporal flow of historical succession. It is necessary to differentiate the narcissistic omnipotent ideal ego from the ego ideal as a circumscribed project, delimited in its realization. Narcissism today. The age in which we live, characterized as it is by a mastery of technique, carries with it a rejection of impossibility. Where impossibility is expelled, the narcissistic relationship governs because there is no possibility of incompletion. Today we must consider technique's own pleasure economy. Everything, both in the objective and subjective sphere, can be interchangeable, equivalent, measurable and calculable. In a society of the spectacle, one runs the risk of being nobody if one is not looked at. Eros is sacrificed to Narcissus. When narcissism polarizes drive forces, we sometimes find ourselves in the realm of compulsion, of the logic of addiction. The drive object, alcohol, drugs, shopping, etc., is the engine that generates an absolute expectation linked to a lack of limits and that, deep down, is an experience of deprivation. What is produced is a return to the same void that we had tried to fill by stuffing ourselves with those objects to the point of contempt. The object is not nourished. Acceleration is a precipitation in a vacuum. For this reason, it is necessary to distinguish between fantasy and expectation. The real consumer becomes a consumer of illusions. The body is equivalent to a commodity. The other is sexualized as an exciting object. It can only be consumed when stripped of its otherness. It has been fragmented into partial objects. From this perspective, the maxim of our work as psychoanalysts could be formulated like this. Where compulsion once was, desire must now be. Faced with the lack of objects capable of nourishing the drives, they are going to seek them wherever in the world in order to compulsively fill their void with narcissistic objects, a vain endeavor because the mirage of satisfaction doesn't last long and the void returns in its depressive mode. Even the ego can be taken as an object and sacrificed to feed the voracious object-consuming drives. When an encounter of the subject's desire with the gift of love and recognition of the other takes place, the drives are nourished. In truth, today's world is lavish in the supply of objects. The fact of favouring the consumption of goods on a collective scale, supported by a law of consumption imbued with a universal, unlimited and omnipotent value, promotes the risk that interhuman relationships may become transactionally measurable and the human becomes a commodity. Today it isn't surprising to hear some men who look for sexual partners on the internet quickly end instrumental relationships that are reduced to a mere sexual discharge. Desire is exhausted again and again in a consummate, consumed dynamic bereft of any transcendence. These breakups are justified with the following argument. Why am I going to pick her if there's always a better option on the market? If the subject is transformed into a commodity, every object can be equivalent, which makes us think of anality and desire necessitates that objects are not interchangeable. 
only the search for an inaccessible object can guide desire and allow it to fixate on substitutes. Trivialization would seek to strip objects of what is singular and unique, as is how they appear in real love. Indifference to the other can be a way of sustaining a narcissistic completeness that is fascinating and that nurtures the most exciting fantasies as a way of incorporating the phallic mother time and time again. I am reminded of a newspaper article written by the writer Antonio Munoz Molina in which he emphasized the current trend towards the aesthetics of detachment, recounting the most atrocious events with perfect coldness and a clinical and cynical distance. A loss of quality goes hand in hand with the commodity form. Consumerist survival is something that must always be expanded because it doesn't stop containing deprivation, which is why there is no limit to restraining growth. Dissatisfaction itself has become a commodity. The merchandise is self-sufficient. Merchandise fetishism reaches moments of fervent excitement. Why? Because a promise is cultivated one which claims that it is possible to achieve the very substance of enjoyment by offering it as an object of consumption. We should be concerned, and very much so, at what moment a practice, that of psychoanalysts, can stop maintaining its relationship with the truth that made it emerge and seclude itself in the eternal museum where the symbolic figures that once enjoyed their moment of splendor are preserved. Our reading of the time in which we live must be a symptomatic reading that allows us to guide the truth of our practice. It must be a reading of the symptoms that a subject suffers and that are manifestations of something that doesn't work in their subjectivity. Singular effects of their discomfort within the popular culture. There are elements of the subject's own constitution that no political historical order can fully and definitively integrate. I would like to close with a question. What the psychoanalysts have to say about the forms that relationships take in today's world? A lot is the answer. It says that discomfort can force you to work things out for yourself. That erotic love relationships are vulnerable, susceptible to rejection, narcissistic injury and loss of the object. That the subject can be very sensitive to the slightest variation in the distance of the object and reveal an intolerance when they discover that the object is not as they imagined it to be. In short, to accepting the otherness of the other and of oneself. It says that trying to weave together the current of tenderness with that of sensuality is still worth it. It says that where Eros sees themselves sacrificed to Narcissus, for example, in the spectacle of making themselves visible so as to exist, Narcissus can transform themselves by counting on Eros, through the analyst hearing the cry of the patient who demands to exist as a subject, by creating new spaces of interiority. It says that the current sexual heterogeneity, including the transgender issue, questions us as analysts and doesn't detract one iota from the demand to build a singular sexual identity. It says that, therefore, symbolizing sexual difference is fully valid today. <laughs>